Hello everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is July 31st, 2015. You are watching episode 21 of Tokyo on Fire. Today our burning issue is TPP. That's an acronym for a free trade agreement of Pacific Rim countries. Currently there are 12 countries involved in negotiations. This is a massive free trade agreement and it is very aggressive. Pretty much the final stages of coming to agreement on very specific terms and conditions that are really just very broad. They concern tariffs and trade and services, intellectual property treatment of e-commerce, monetization, financial services, a lot of things. We're going to get into that. Before we get into that, though, I want to thank everyone for watching this episode. Our numbers continue to improve, and that's because of you, our viewers. I'm joined today with my co-conspirator, Michael Chuchek. Michael Chuchek is adjunct professor at Sofia University, teaching budding young minds international relations, Japanese politics, and diplomacy. Welcome, Michael. It's great to be back. It's great to have you again. This is our 21st episode. 21 times. It's great. Today we're talking about TPP. This is a very aggressive, very far-reaching, probably among all the topics that we've addressed so far, this one potentially has the greatest amount of impact economically and politically than all of the issues we've talked about. It certainly is tying together 40% of the world's economic output, which is an amazing amount of the world's economy. The hope is that this Trans-Pacific Partnership will be not just an end product, but in fact a stepping stone in that other economies will want to work in. Currently, it's 12 economies and their ministers are meeting right now as we are sitting here in, in Maui in Hawaii, trying to hammer out the final details of this agreement. Well, countries are always involved in free trade agreements. In 1982, when uh, they were bashing the Toyota automobiles on the steps of the Capitol building, that really exploded this, this dynamic between the United States and Japan, which ultimately resulted in several trade agreements, including beef, automobiles, tariffs, that sort of thing. And this just continue, this is a part of international diplomacy. It is, and except we have to be fair in that at the time of those bilateral disputes, at which were settled bilaterally between the two, the, the two countries, the main focus at the time was global trade agreements, the GATT and then the establishment of the World Trade Organization, the WTO. Since the establishment of the WTO, though, global agreements have slowed down. Mm -hmm. And it's these new regional agreements like TPP, like TIPP in Europe, which have taken over the agenda. And in fact, they are the only agenda because the uh, Doha round of, war, of uh, the last global effort is, is defunct. Well, it's the ebb and flow of economic relations, isn't it? I mean, w even with NAFTA, this was in 1992 or so, uh, the three countries, Canada, the United States, and Mexico, they formed a trade block and they uh, tried to unitize or to harmonize some of the agreements and the tariffs. And although it was a very emotional issue, there were winners and losers. But on balance, I guess it was an improvement for the economies of all three countries. It certainly was. But in this case, in the case of the TPP, it has its antecedents not in big countries, but in small ones. Mm -hmm. The origins of the TPP was something called Transept, which was four countries, Singapore, Brunei, Chile and New Zealand coming together, right. uh, small economies who wanted to create a very clean, very direct and, and very low tariff or no tariff uh, 
trade agreement. Mm -hmm. And they did that in, in, in 2005. Then other countries looking in said, okay, we want, want in on that. Most importantly, the United States. And so this movement of small countries trying to out, get really pure, clean, free trade it has now been embraced by larger countries, including Japan. Well, it looks like the idea, the concept is a good one. So it started in 2005, probably Brunei or New Zealand t took leadership on that. They started it and very quickly they signed off on a, a couple of comprehensive agreements. And I think other countries in the Pacific Rim looked at that and thought, this is a good deal, we should, we should latch onto that too. Well, certainly the United States under the Bush administration grabbed onto this in a big way. The question was whether Japan was going to go in or not. Mm -hmm. And the country hemmed and hawed for a very, very long time and was still uncommitted when the LDP lost power in 2009. And the effect politically of entering the TPP was, well, mitigated by the fact it was not the LDP that, that did it, but the DPJ. Right. And the uh, Prime Minister at the time, Kan Naoto, in fact talked about entering TPP as being the third wave of openings. After the black ships of, mm -hmm. of Commander Perry, after the occupation, the TPP was going to really change Japan. Of course, that was not popular with a lot of elements, economic actors here in Japan, and soon enough the, uh, the DPJ was out of power. The LDP wavered for a bit, trying to figure, well, is there, is there some kind of pathway around this, uh, through this? What? But as finally the Abe administration has come down and has put a lot of effort. He's put his, one of his very best friends, Mr. Amari, as the negotiator in charge of this. And Mr. Amari, who at one point had to step out for a while because he was suffering from cancer, uh, has been basically doing nothing but TPP despite the fact his official writ is much broader, his entire life has been the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Sure, let's talk about the dynamics of what a free trade agreement like TPP involves. It involves essentially, and just you know, uh, jump in when, when you think it's appropriate, but the TPP, this kind of a negotiation involves bilateral agreements and then they get together for ministerial agreements and the, the pace has just been um, really, really fast. I mean, since 2008, this has been going great guns and the United States jumped in, the, the Japanese jumped in about a, a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And now, what, 12 countries are involved? They're, they have on-site ministerial meetings, they have uh, uh, heads of delegation meetings, and, and the, the, the schedule is, is really very compact. And the thing is, is that it's not like most trade agreements have been in the past, focusing on tariffs. Mm -hmm. It's focusing on all the other stuff, on intellectual property rights, on uh, parts of the uh, economy that are resistant to trade. All these issues that have to do, were, were ancillary to other agreements, mm -hmm. they are the center of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And the fact that the negotiations are moving so fast has created a lot of tensions in a lot of places, basically in terms of domestic politics, primarily because in order to speed it up, it's been held in secret. One of the, one of the main controversies of, of this TPP agreement. Before we get too far into it though, this is not really the mother of all free trade agreements. No, the free, the free trade area of the Asia Pacific, FTAP, which would involve all the countries of, of ASEAN, or almost all of them, 
uh, and certain all the if certain more uh, Latin American per participants. That is the big mother agreement, but mm -hmm. no one sees that happening anytime soon. It includes China, uh, whereas this TPP one does not. It does not include China. That's right. And China has its own regional idea going on, the uh, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, the RCEP. And that includes Japan, includes the countries of ASEAN, and includes the Australians and the New Zealanders, but excludes the Indians and excludes most prominently the United States. So there are a lot of competing big trade agreements, mm -hmm. but the TPP seems to be right on the cusp of actually being concluded. Right. The TPP seems to be uh, an approach by the United States to kind of uh, place China a little bit at bay, a little bit off balance. I mean, China could join at some point in time, but the, there's a, a, an awful big gorilla that's in the room, isn't there? Well, it is the big gorilla in the room. And the issue for many countries within the region is how do we balance our situation involving China? Mm -hmm. Now, in the region, trade, inter-regional trade has exploded. Uh, in 1990, the value was about a half a trillion dollars. Around two, nowadays, it's about almost five trillion. It's, inc it's, it's increased by almost 10 times in terms of value. At the same time, the amount of trade is actually not terribly high but in terms of intensity mm -hmm. between the countries. And an increasingly, it's all going bilaterally with the, the smaller countries having as their biggest partner, China. Mm -hmm. And for these countries, this, the idea of global integration Further integration with China is not exactly desirable for them because right. they've already got China as such a huge trade partner. So it's offering a secondary route. And what's going to happen is, of course, if indeed this, the TPP the is signed, countries like Vietnam and their companies or Malaysia and their companies will be replacing in global trade, at least trade with the United States, Chinese companies, because Chinese companies are not part right. of the trade agreement and the most comparable labor costs and the most comparable uh, capacities are to be found in the ASEAN countries. Right. So it's going to distort global trade away from China once it's signed. And so China has certainly has an interest at some point to get in on it itself. Mm -hmm. Of course, China has its own political issues which may prevent it from doing so. Well, um, in the context of uh, an individual country, let's say Japan, deciding whether to join in, I mean, they're just joining in the negotiations. They haven't signed off on anything. It's still kind of wait and see. Let's see how far we can push this, this envelope. But as they're going through that process, they're going through their own analysis of, you know, how much more are we going to enhance our trade flows? How much more investment can we anticipate, even if we lower the barriers or we let more people uh, do inbound investment? This must be uh, really very uh, difficult and take a lot of brain power to kind of come up with these numbers. And admittedly, they must be just guesses. They're pretty much guesses because the uh, extent to which liberalization will take place is very questionable. Also, the numbers for the very big countries in, of the increases in their trade seem relatively modest. Mm -hmm. Here in Japan, the estimate is probably around a half a percentage point of GDP increased over 10 years time. 
when this was first discussed in the Diet, one of the Diet members asked the Prime Minister, uh, why are we putting so much emphasis on this for a half a percent when you're telling me that if we just increase the money supply, it's going to cost 2% growth per year. Right. What are, what, what's, those things are not comparable. Why, why bother trying to come to an agreement with 11 other countries? Mm -hmm. And uh, the prime minister was sort of hard-pressed to answer that. Since then, the hocus-pocus aspect of getting growth through just increasing the money supply has indeed vanished, and TPP is all you've got. Right. So it, it's turned out that pursuing it was a pretty good idea. Sure. Well, I mean, he's got his Abenomics and the third, the third arrow. And I think probably what he's substituting for the third arrow, he's using TPP as that surrogate to provide that trade and service, to provide that, that liberalization that he probably can't he can't manage on his own through his own his own power the L, power of the LDP to get some of these really difficult issues you know resolved agriculture butter financial services legal services that sort of thing well he he did cripple himself at the beginning by saying that there were five agricultural sectors that were sacred mm -hmm. and that his government would try to protect of course everyone knows that that's politics Everybody that's for the TPP understands that he, Japan really can't protect all of those, right. even, even, not even rice. Right. Well, how do you know a politician is lying? He's moving his lips. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. In this case, everybody knew that that was not a promise that could be kept, mm -hmm. but it still nevertheless was a promise, and it's something that the government has had to work around. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea, of course, is that what... Japan will get is what it would, it's really been focusing very much on, which is the United States's tariff, 25% tariff on light vehicles. This has been the absolute desire of corporate Japan for as long as anybody can remember. The establishment of, the, of that tariff saved several U.S. automakers from bankruptcy, or at least immediate bankruptcy, mm -hmm. because when they say light, light trucks. You're talking well, about F2. You're talking about, you're talking about not just that, you're talking about SUVs. Okay. So that, and vans. At which point, which were the only vehicles that American companies made that made, that made any money. They didn't make any money in sedans, they didn't make any money in their large vehicles. But the, but the light trucks were, were, were the money makers and they were protected by a 25% tariff, which is steep. Mm -hmm. And it has always been the dream of Japan's automakers to get rid of that. And it has been this and because this administration is so closely tied to the Keidanren and particularly to Toyota Motors, this has been an absolute uh, necessity to pursue. Well, they're in Hawaii now. Uh, they're probably in day three of their negotiations. These negotiations will go on for a, a set period of time. They will have some sort of a conclusion. And they're talking about a lot of these issues. Let's just go through a list of exactly what kind of issues they're talking about, okay, just to, to convey to the, the, the people who are participating the, the breadth of, of what it is and what they're trying to achieve here. I mean, it really is um, massive. Okay, I've got a list here. It's not comprehensive, but it, it gives you a flavor, and, and perhaps people who are t tuning into this podcast might get a, a, a sense of you know, how broad and how deep and how really, truly difficult this must be. Mm. What they're trying to achieve is a comprehensive market access by eliminating tariffs 
and other barriers to goods and services and trade. Like a so right now, right. that's normal free trade agreement. They mostly um, address that. Fully regional agreement by facilitating the development of production and supply chains among TPP members. Cost-cutting trade issues by building on work being done in APEC and other forum by incorporating four new cross-cutting issues. These include regulatory coherence, competitiveness and business facilitation, small and medium-sized enterprises, and development, which means a comprehensive and robust market liberalization. That's pretty big. They have new trade challenges by promoting trade and investment in innovative products and services, and probably harmonizing those. And then finally, to make this a living agreement so that it can be adjusted on the fly. And also there's a requirement, as there was in the initial TPP of 2006, that the participating countries are encouraged to bring other trade partners into it. Not strong arm, but there is a little bit of a suggestion there that if you want to trade with our bloc, you need to join our club too. The, the emphasis though, uh, to give everybody credit, is on development. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is the participation of small nations. Now, they have always had a problem in terms of bilateral agreements like um, for example, the Korea-US trade, free trade agreement, CHORUS, or the free trade agreement that Australia negotiated with the United States. In that the United States is so big as compared to any of those markets uh, that generally the United States can... A little bit lopsided. Uh, it, it, can, it can throw its weight around and get the things that it wants <clears throat> and not be entirely uh, fair. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the, those trade agreements have been extremely controversial within those countries. Well, that's one of the... Uh, criticisms of the TPP indeed right now. But that was the whole point of bringing Japan in. And not just as a market, not just as an investment location, not as a source of, not only as a source of funds, but for the smaller countries, at least to have one other big country in there to keep the United <clears throat> States from rolling over them like a juggernaut. Right. And certainly Japan has made it difficult for, Japan, for China, the United States to just do what it wants. And that has... So that's international politics, right? You know, and they're they're <clears throat> doing that. In terms of development for countries like Vietnam, this trade agreement can mean as much as an, of an increase as ten percent of GDP, mm -hmm. which is huge. I mean, Japan, we're talking about half a percent, but for for the, for the, for the smaller countries, this is absolutely vital. For a country such as New Zealand, which is geographically far from other places and, and really needs to have no tariffs at all for its products so that they can tr be economically viable, being that they're geographically isolated from everyone else. Uh, this is an absolute, uh, this is an absolute lifeline to them mm -hmm. and really, really important. But if there were, there were no Japan in this agreement, the United States would just stomp over everybody. Well, there's obviously lots of horse trading that's involved, even now in Hawaii, there are certain things that the Japanese really want achievement on, but they're willing to negotiate on other ones that are perhaps not that important economically speaking. Maybe politically they, they're going to take some hits, but overall to get this agreement and some of the things that they really want, everybody's going through that same dynamic, aren't they? Yeah, but it's really bizarre that there are these cascades of things that... We have, for example, right now, everybody's ganging up on Canada. Mm -hmm. Well, why? Is Canada such an evil place? No. But Canada is being ganged up on because it protects its dairy farmers. <clears throat> the idea is that if Canada can't protect its dairy farmers, Japan can't protect its farmers, and New Zealand gets a great, better deal for everything. Mm -hmm. these, this, 
it doesn't make much sense, but it makes much se- a lot of sense to the negotiators on, on the ground. So that right now, everybody's piling up on Canada, even though that's not the issue. The issue mm-hmm. is Japanese agricultural product protection. The, the politics of it is, is significant. What's also significant in terms of politics is in terms of security. The, the major security issue in, the East, in East Asia is the rising military power of China and the rising centripetal pull of China as becoming the regional hegemon. Right. By having the United States tied in to the economies outside of China, but in the region, it gives one more reason for the United States to keep its, its hands in, the, in this area instead of pulling back, which mm-hmm. might be absolutely in the United States' interests. But the idea that you combine an economic as well as political and strategic goals for the United States in the region is really one of the major engines behind the agreement. Well, I think uh, history tells us that Economic integration is a great counterbalance to military intervention or, or the use of force to solve diplomatic disputes. Well, in this case, that, that's certainly true. But in this case, you'd want to have trade with China in order to re- reduce tensions in the regions. But that's not what this is about. No. This, is to keep, this is to keep the Yanks in, as they used to say sure. uh, about, about Europe. And here, it's, it's to keep the Yanks around. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't talked much about uh, what... China is doing in terms of the financial market and development of the China Bank or the Asia Pacific the, the, Bank. And yeah, the Asian Investment Bank, yeah. Which is huge. And, and in, in light of the United States and the, the, the role of the dollar as an international currency and that coming into question, um, you know, these dynamics, they are, they are very clearly in flux. The investment and banking and financial systems of East Asia are still not integrated. And it's certainly been an area where China has been trying to make a big push and has been trying to really reorganize this, this section of the world. It has what it's called the, the 21st century maritime silk road, which is supposed to be all kinds of port facilities mm-hmm. and all kinds of maritime activities. It has the, uh, the silk road and economic I- initiative that have been combined into what's called the sea and the road. Uh, it really wants to have in, to infrastructure investment in the area and fund it and be in charge of it. And again, it's a political issue. Mm-hmm. It means the United States is not there. And when the United States is not there, then Japan is in a very tight, very, very, very tight position. Well, I think we, we probably, I mean, I've been studying trade agreements and it's been a part of, of what I've done uh, even before I got into to business. But I think we can say it safely, I mean, if enough, if enough people have the intentions, the right intentions, and they put the brain power to it, free trade agreements do produce value, and they, they help to, to stabilize economies. And in, in the instance of uh, the TPP, it begins to coalesce this, this enormous market. 40% of the world's uh, GDP is generated through this region, and that's just the 12 countries that are involved right now. Yeah, and the, the idea is that Basically, if you, if you are very strict about the way you calculate things, that the world global economy will expand by $220 billion. Now, we're in the habit of throwing around billions a lot and don't get a real sense, but that's, that's 1% of global GDP. And that seems worthwhile mm-hmm. if you can increase an, a region's 
about well, 40% of the world's economy to get another 1% out of it seems worthwhile. And it's especially worthwhile because it is the small countries that get the biggest bang for their bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, the issue for Japan is, is that it's neither small nor, nor enormous like the United States, nor a really a desirable t target. Yes, and, and of course the other issue is that its main industry that it has been protecting is the one that it's going to have to sacrifice, mm -hmm. and that's agriculture. Well, that's right. The agricultural reform is one of the, the key issues. I mean, that was one, probably our second issue on Tokyo on Fire. And it, it's, it's really very hard sometimes for outsiders to understand how important agriculture and these other industries that have been protected are to most Japanese. Mm -hmm. I was in May up at a battle reenactment up in the town of Yori in Saitama, which is not that far from the capital. And they have, since they need to have soldiers, they, someone has to provide all these soldiers. They're all in armor and they all clash and everything. You know, some of them are This is medieval where? Yeah, this is, it's a, it's a medieval battle between the forces of the Toyotomi and the Hojo. And they go. And Michael Chuchek participated. No, I did not. You were no, the, but there were some Africans who were there. Okay, it, well. was, it was an interesting scene. Anyway, <laughs> th so all these armies in, in medieval armor are, are clashing against each other. And yes, some of them are local high school students. Uh, and because there are fewer high school students now, women now participate, and so there's this quite a free for all going on. But most of the companies of soldiers are provided by precisely these organizations that have come under attack in economic reforms. The post office, it had its company of, 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 arm, of soldiers in armor. JA, Japan Agriculture, had its very large contingent of people. These are the, not just the economic actors, they're the social actors mm -hmm. of these communities. And this business of rationalization and trade liberalization and breaking down these barriers has real social impacts. That is, so that it's not just simply people who are trying to protect their wallets, they're protecting the local festival. They're protecting right. everything that they know. So it's really a very, very, very much more fraught issue mm -hmm. than perhaps for other countries in the region. Right, well, perhaps viewers who are not that comfortable or th not that familiar with how things work in Japan are just going to say, well, that's, you're just saying that their stomachs are longer or their, their snow is different. That's just, and, and it is substantially different is what you're saying. I'm saying that it's, it's the very fabric of the local communities that will be torn apart. Mm -hmm. And they know it. And they will become atomized, alienated, separated from the things that have been supporting their communities for a long time. This same town, Yori, recently opened what was presumed going to be the last automobile factory that is going to be based in Japan. I think it's Honda Motors. But there were no contingents of soldiers from this new factory, oh. right? They're not part of the local community. Mm -hmm. They're part of the internationalized, globalized economy. They're not there. Physically, they're there. They're, they're yen coming in, yes, but they're not part of the social matrix. Right. And you're attacking the social, social matrix. So if you see Japan as having been a very difficult negotiating partner, there is a reason. Sure. Well, I mean, somebody could say, well, look at all this lovely thing. This too will be yours, son, someday. Mm -hmm. And there is a, a gradual decline. I mean, so maybe the timing is right for, for the Japanese uh, government to acclimate to a, a regional trading bloc so that 
maybe those industries that they do have a competitive advantage in. Maybe it might not be, you know, building trucks out in, in the, the hinterland of, of Japan, but maybe it is, you know, producing some other product. It's very difficult to know. Mm -hmm. And in the case of the TPP, certainly the very big companies, the, the Hitachis, the Toyotas, are going to reap a windfall out of this thing. But for many medium-sized, small co companies, it's very, very much a wash. And certainly in terms of Japan agriculture, the uh, losses, ultimate losses uh, are assumed to be somewhere around three trillion yen, mm -hmm. you know, which is a huge amount of money, uh, which means farmers simply stop farming right. in large part. Now, there are people like Richard Katz of the Oriental Economist who says, great, finally they'll stop throwing money at, at farmers who are so inefficient that money will go somewhere else where it's used where, more properly. Where farming is, is more depth uh, appropriate for the, the or any other economic activity that's better than throwing money at Japanese right. old 65 year old farmers right. stop doing that you will have generate you will generate jobs you will generate consumption because currently it's just being used to subsidize mm -hmm. these people okay I can sort of buy that argument but nevertheless it is asking people to accept a political change right and the the map of the, uh, we always come back to this, the map of, of Japan emphasizes rural areas. Right. Well, in a deal like this, I mean, it really is deep and uh, really massive. I mean, societally, uh, economically, politically, it is, it is very deep. And it will generate not only intended consequences, but also unintended consequences. And some of those unintended consequences while we might not be able to foresee them, some of those are going to be great. I mean, it's happened in other free trade agreements where uh, the corn growing was not expected to increase, but all of a sudden, given the dynamics, it did increase, and uh, different economies you know, benefited when they didn't really even predict that. But in terms of things like intellectual property rights, in mm -hmm. terms of the use of generic medicines, most people see nothing but negatives in the right. TPP, at least for Japanese. Mm -hmm. Japanese love that they can use generic medicines that are mostly manufactured in India, that these things will now be excluded and that these will no longer be something that people have access to because United States pharmaceutical companies want to protect their patents. Mm -hmm. This, they see, there are a lot of people who see the TPP as the United States regulatory system entering Japan like a big fist mm -hmm. and just crushing a lot of what people have come to expect. Are, are relatively cheap alternatives to what the United States offers. Well, we've seen that before. And I think perhaps, you know, the, the patience of Japan's trading partners has really reached maybe a maximum point. I mean, we, we want you to be integrated into the world body. We want you to integrate to, region, to the regional trading. And we just, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. And maybe it is just the heavy hand. I mean, Gaiatsu works. And what they've, they've done certain, um, They've performed analysis that shows that when companies who are basically homegrown companies begin to export, productivity increases well, the, the just as a consequence of that. Yeah, their total factor productivity, yeah. And one of the, one of the aspects, one of the uh, intended consequences of TPP is that um, a lot of Japanese companies who are not trading internationally will be forced or will be included in international trade. They will be forced to 
be more regionally minded and they'll be de dealing with uh, more companies and uh, trading partners. But research on, on trade has always found that the number of companies that trade uh, is relatively small. And the number of the ones that do trade, a few large companies do 90% the mm -hmm. bulk amount. And then the other country, companies do a few, a few other things. It's really, it's not a homogenous mass. Mm -hmm. It's a very heterogeneous group that where there's a very small number of companies that win big. Uh, and in Japan, having only a few companies win big is not the way they work sure. here. Sure, right. You know, and that's not the way they've worked for a long time. The, the idea that not everyone can cross the street is not the way the Japanese society works. We all cross the street together. Right. You know, they, for the entire period of the 90s, no financial uh, company was allowed to go bankrupt because we have We all system. survive together. We all survive together. Right. The TPP is an absolute end to that kind of life. It's the life, the only life that most Japanese corporate executives have ever known. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I mean, TPP is a go, no go. I think TPP has probably got more of a likelihood of going through, being accepted. Abe needs something to provide his third arrow. He certainly needs some kind of thing to change the subject, whether it's collective security, the Olympic stadium. He needs something yes. new for the, everybody to talk about. And certainly the TPP negotiations have finally wiped, pushed off these really problematic issues mm -hmm. off of the national television broadcasts and off the national mm -hmm. agenda. It, it certainly has come at the right time for him. I also see that it's, it's a go. And the reason is, is that there has never been, well, never is a long time, but there has not been for at least 30 years, a administration, a cabinet, so deeply bought into big business. Mm -hmm. And big business wants this. Right. If the Keidanren wants this, and they do, the Abe administration is going to open the door for them. Mm -hmm. That's my sense. What Let, do you think? No, I, I agree with you. I think uh, TPP will become a reality. And the way the trade uh, agreement works, it comes in in, in blocks. It, it doesn't all come in at, at one time. It's not a bucket of water. Mm -hmm. And over, over a 10-year period of time, so between the time that it is signed off and in about 10 years, it's fully integrated. Tariffs have fallen to zero. That's the, the, mm -hmm. the goal. And then there is um, more closely, um, you know, the achievement of the, the integration. And by that time, the average age of a Japanese farmer will be 76. Right. So, you know, these people will, will hardly be a force in, in, Amer in Japanese society. It's, it, it, it was always known that agriculture would be sacrificed mm -hmm. at some point. It's just that it's always hard to know when that point is supposed to happen. It mm -hmm. seems to be happening now. It's funny that there is no back to the land movement here in Japan. Mm. It would be kind of nice that, I mean, there are a lot of farms that uh, could use uh, some, some young strapping workers, um, people going in with, um, with boots and raising their family. I mean, we you see, see that well, in we other see countries. We see that kind of broadcast all the time on NHK. Mm -hmm. and but they're people, all movie people stars. doing your, yes. you know, U-turns or I-turns or whatever they, turns they want to call it. But functionally, you have to have the, be able to put together a farm of sufficient size so that mechanization makes sense, so that your right. your, your use of fertilizers, use of, of pesticides, whatever, makes some sense. Currently, there is not a liquid market for agricultural land, and the, 
what we have is this patchwork of, of tiny, tiny plots, mm -hmm. sometimes not even contiguous, so that, you know, Mr. Tanaka has one over here, one over here, one over here, and then all the other families have it in between, and they all have to figure out how the water is shared right. between them. And it has been decided that way since 100 years, because if anybody tried to do anything new, that would upset the balance of the community. That kind of thing has to go completely away, and it's still not... It's not completely good. Well, people aren't stupid. And the invisible hand, I guess, has some effectiveness in distributing land, wealth, uh, power. So in, in the instance of, you know, agricultural reform or moving back to the land, you know, people are going to make their decisions based on how they get uh, compensated. The Abe administration has definitely said we want severe reform of agriculture. They got rid of the gentan, the uh, the payment for not growing rice, but you still would your field would still be listed as a rice paddy. Mm -hmm. They got they they Mr. Abi was very proud of working out the phase out of that subsidy. They have symbolically decapitated Japan agriculture, and that it's going to be disestablished from what it was before. Instead, will be these regional groups instead of one giant national mm -hmm. organization. But at the same time, so many of the LDP's rank and file depend on just a few thousand votes that come from these organizations to get them over the top, to get right. them voted, because it's a first-past-the-post system. Mm -hmm. You know, a few thousand votes here, a few thousand votes there, and it's the difference between a squeaker, a loss, and a landslide. Because right. these are not big mm -hmm. districts that are being, that are being fought over. And any interest group can have tremendous leverage. Mm -hmm. So the big major corporations, in terms of their GDP contribution, should be just have just steamrolled over the agriculture groups, over small business, because they are a relatively small amount of GDP, very tiny. Mm -hmm. But because of the way that the, the land is parceled out, and because of the way that the the districts are parceled out, they've never been able to use their strength. Now they're trying to use it mm -hmm. through trade. We could go on and on. This is a, a intensely interesting conversation. Let's talk a little bit, though, before we get too deep into it, about what are the criticisms of TPP. And in the United States, that was not just TPP, it was also TPA. I mean, giving the, the president, you know, unilateral authority of thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, that's not particularly the case here in Japan, but, you know, there are controversial issues that we're addressing here in, in Japan with regard to TPP. And it's strange that the, the secrecy aspect, which I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. uh, is not a big deal here. Uh, possibly because so many different things are, are decided behind closed doors and then presented to the public as, here's your will, this right. is what you wanted us to do. Uh, that this particular instance of it, which has been the major reason why it is so unpopular in the United States is not a, a factor here in Japan. Mm -hmm. But there, as I mentioned, the the question of generic drugs, the question of uh, intellectual property rights has been quite difficult. And then, of course, of this ability of companies to sue, that capacity is very much frowned upon in mm -hmm. Japan. And really, the there are a lot of citizens who wonder, well, wait, 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 what do you mean the, 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 they have this kind of disputation system? Litigation? What, litigation, yeah. <laughs> what, what's that? Right. And do we get to win sometimes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, 
The, uh, that aspect of it has very, been very controversial. Right. The dynamic in the United States and the dynamic in Japan with regard to confidentiality and secrecy of TPP negotiations is very different. And I think that distinction is important to point out because in the United States, the fear is it's secret because all of the corporations have their, their lobbyists in there. They're writing the laws. They're doing this and they're promoting their products and their, their services to the government. And the government is just signing off. I guess that is uh, the, the, the suspicion. Whereas here in Japan, I mean, corporations are involved at a, at a very significant level, but the bureaucracy here is massive and it's very well regarded and it's highly intelligent. Probably, you know, among the, the G8 countries, I mean, they are highly regarded by the population, I think, internationally as well. They've got plenty of throw weight there. And they certainly are going to tell certain companies to just go away. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very hard for a company to capture, a single company to capture it. Industries in, as a group, yes. But even so, the issue is is highly politicized, mm -hmm. uh, so that the idea that certain lobbyists will take over is not the issue. Right. It's it's that certain uh, issues will be decided that are not good for the particularly the Japanese consumer, who is supposed to be the ultimate beneficiary. Right. Of this, that's the that's the business having to do with generic medicines, is that. If you're going to sell anything in a modern day Japanese context, you have to sell it as the consumer comes out ahead, especially since the consumption tax was raised by mm -hmm. this very same administration. They have to have a consumer friendly trade agreement. And we don't know if that's what's going to come out of these sure. negotiations. Well, I think uh, in the United States, certain calculations put the healthcare industry at about 23% of the entire economy. Mm -hmm. I mean, some aspect of it is, is influencing. Uh, the U.S. economy. And I think people can rightly say, you know, the, uh, the, the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry has, has really um, overlorded the, the writing of the bills and their insertion into, you know, the provision of medical care. Well, currently the, what they're discussing right now is whether American, and it's basically American uh, biophysics companies, their patents will be for 12 years, which is the United States demand, seven or eight years, which is what Japan is asking for, or five years, which is what the smaller countries are asking for, so that these, these biologics, as they're called, the United States' major pharmaceutical companies want to recoup as much of the investment right. or make as much money as they can off of it, whereas the, uh, the smaller countries are arguing, yes, but that means that the patients won't be getting it. Right. Well. And Japan's somewhere in between on that. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're right. It, it is a matter also of the fact that Japan is in a, an aging, an aging society. society. Right. And one of the things they do want to avoid is increasing medical costs because they're going to happen anyway. Right. And they're, they're going to be a significant drag on the economy. Mm -hmm. Any increases on, uh, in terms of medical costs immediately send up warning flags um, at the finance ministry. And the finance ministry has a lot of pull. Mm. So it's a very much, you know, how does the Japan government, how does the consumer get something out of this? It's clear what the big companies get. It's clear what the zaikai, as mm -hmm. they're called, get. But what does the consumer get? Right. And the, the numbers, as I said earlier, half a percentage point of GDP growth Okay, yes, but this, this has been at a time when GDP has been only growing at 1% or 
or so per year. So one and a half is a big improvement. Right. So, you know, it's a huge improvement of 50%. But uh, it seems to be that there are a lot of negatives. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the, the criticisms of TPP in the United States that resonate with me are the secrecy, the involvement of big corporations in defining or guiding this, uh, the, the policy or the decisions that are being made, and the fact that the, the opportunity for them to reap uh, profit for their investment in technology, they have a competitive advantage in some of these areas that Japan and other countries in the Pacific Rim, they just won't catch up to it. There's a bit of a trick here because we're trying to define what TP will mean and we're defining it now for the next 10 or 12 or 15 years. In that period of time, if it's a generic drug, it can't be sold, it can't be um, marketed until that, that uh, patent or that, that license runs its course and now you can bring in uh, competing products that provide the uh, same or similar uh, results at what, one-tenth the price? Yeah, There's a, there is, in this agreement, because it's not about tariffs, a strong question of, isn't this just extraterritoriality? Isn't this just bringing U.S. laws right. into other countries? And it's hard to argue with that, to be quite honest. Sure, I mean, the United States is typically rather aggressive and boisterous when it comes to these kinds of deals. And But the thing is, when you're doing just tariffs, it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's just numbers. Right. Here, you're talking about interpretations of whether something is in a barrier or not, right. and whether it, it, it serves as a means of protecting a, an industry or protecting a particular company or not. Mm -hmm. And the, dispute the disputes are going to be constant, I think. It's really difficult to say how TPP is a, a slam dunk. Yes. It sounds good. It, it should be good in theory. But when in implementation, there are going to be a lot of stumbling blocks. Look, why don't we just wrap this up? But before we do that, let's go back to a couple of predictions that you made last week at this time. Last week, our burning issue was the Tokyo Metropolitan Stadium. And certain dynamics were going on there. You made a prediction that there would be a change in leadership. How I'd like to wrap this discussion up today is... Let's talk about those predictions, what happened over the last week, and with regard to TPP, do you have any predictions that we can follow next week, too? And, uh, my prediction was right, but only in part. Someone did eventually have to resign. Unfortunately, it was someone that no one had ever heard of or thought of. It was just a simple... Uh, high level? High level, yes, bureaucrat uh, within the education. Ministry of Education, right. but that no one had ever heard of before. Mm -hmm. And any of the major players, none of them have moved. And I was thinking at the time, somebody has to go. But then I realized, since our last conversation, that the LDP has its election for pre the president at the end of September. That's right. So that whoever is replaced, everything's going to be reshuffled at the end of September. Mm -hmm. So there's... If, we, if you just sit tight, all these people can be put on the block, or at least their heads put on the block, <laughs> uh, at the end and of And it's time. a matter, of course, without anybody really being blamed, blamed for, anything. for anything. That's right. So the, where, whereas I was thinking that the, the, public is, the public is baying for blood, which they are, uh, they really want someone big to come down, and certainly the uh, editor, editors of the various uh, news agencies are calling for somebody's head. When you think about the calendar, it's not going to happen. Yeah, We had over the weekend a further 
huge stumbling block, this time having to do with collective security, where Mr. Isazaki, the, uh, the advisor to the prime minister, stated he must have had a little too much to drink, that it doesn't matter whether a law is unconstitutional or not, as long as it protects the country better. Mm-hmm. Wrong thing to say at this time. He hasn't been fired. In fact, two days after he made this statement, he had dinner with the prime minister at a restaurant. They did not bring up the, this subject that he had absolutely plunged a sword right through the arguments about the current legislation. And I'm guessing Crow was not served. Uh, no, it was not. <laughs> but, you know, and it, it's all, that only makes sense mm-hmm. if, one, Abe has changed his methodology. Because when he came back in, in 2012, what's been really significant is that his, his ability to fire people, or at least what was his ability to fire people. Has he changed his methodology? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's entirely due to the fact that the LDP's election is at the end of September, right. and he's going to do a complete house cleaning of the cabinet because there are so many people who want to come in. They feel like it's their turn. He owes them. And he owes them. And all that will, be, will happen then, so that I don't think Mr. Isozaki will still be in the Kante at that point. He's going to find something else to do. All these, And I think that Shimamura-san will be out mm-hmm. as next minister. Thank you very much. You worked very hard, and next. So we're going to be seeing a big turnover in September so that no matter how crazy it gets over the next few weeks, and whoever says any, the next person who says something stupid. Right. Um, we're looking at August 15th and the 70th anniversary of the end of the war. We're just waiting for the, the, the choice quotes on right. that day from tone, politically tone-deaf individuals. They're not going to be fired either. Nothing's going to happen until the end of September. Right. Let's get back to TPP. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about the conclusion of TPP and how it might ultimately be resolved? You it's, think it'll be this year? It's supposed to happen tonight here. And my prediction is yes. And the reason for that is the United States Congress and the United States presidential election cycle. Mm-hmm. The one thing that this group of individuals know is that if TPP negotiations, finalizations, voting slips into next year, it starts to become an issue in the United States presidential race. And they absolutely don't want to be involved in the issues of 2016. They Mm -hmm. want to get this done by the end of 2015. That means that they can't meet again. The the people say, oh, they can meet again in August. No. Mm -hmm. They need to get this done. Right. And they need to get it. Luckily, they're in a place Hey, it's hard to leave, you know. It's it's they're in Maui. If they go into extended session, who could blame right. them, right? right? This this issue has to be resolved. Mm-hmm. All the final issues have to be resolved because otherwise it becomes something that Mrs. Hillary Clinton has to deal with, anyone who's running for the Democratic primary has to deal with, and it certainly will be an issue for the Republicans as well. So, whereas Japan is in a rather ambivalent position. The United States isn't. The United States needs to get this done. Great. Thank you very much, Michael. With that comment, I think I'd like to draw this discussion to a close. This week's burning issue has been TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We hope you've enjoyed this. You can participate in our discussion by providing comments to us at comments at tokyoonfire.com or perhaps more fruitfully, 
just add your comments into the dialog box on YouTube. You can also download this podcast on iTunes. Contribute your comments at hashtag TokyoOnFire via Twitter. We really appreciate your comments and your suggestions. Please subscribe and tell your friends about us. Thank you for watching Tokyo on Fire. We'll see you next week.